Today we have Sam Morris on the show. Are you looking to obtain the ideal financing for a new real estate investment? Sam Morris is a general partner in seven multifamily communities with over 800 units. He was president of a bank and now currently sits on the board for a commercial bank. As we all know, the debt situation has changed in the industry with rising interest rates. Sam knows what lenders are looking for. He knows what they need. And he knows how to present to lenders. And this gives him and his team an advantage. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing. Be introduced to the players that are getting it done and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Sam Morris before we start the show. Sam Morris comes from a banking background. In fact, he was president of a bank for many years, and he currently sits on the board for a bank today. He and his team focus on tertiary markets and focus on deal sizes greater than mom and pops can take down, but that are under the radar for large institutional players. He believes the change in the lending environment will result in lower leverage, a flight to quality, and a focus on known relationships. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Sam Morris. Sam, appreciate you coming on the show. Man, really appreciate the uh, opportunity to talk to you and your listeners, Darren. Fantastic. So um, a little bit on how I know Sam, and then uh, we'll get into it. But so this is the first time that we're actually talking. Um, we were both speakers yeah. at the MFIN conference in, in Charlotte um, that Dan Hanford put on. And, um, you know, I've heard of Sam and, and I was just interested and I'm like, let's get to know this guy. So why not bring him on the podcast and have him share it with everybody? So with, right with that, um, how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? Yeah, so Sunset Capital, first of all, you know, thanks, guys. Uh, my name is Sam Morris. I'm the CEO of Sunset Capital. We currently have seven uh, multifamily complexes that encompasses a little over 800 units that we have in our current portfolio. Prior to that, I was a co-GP with another partner that we had about, we did about 1,900 units together um, and full cycle, just a couple of those. That was a, a buy and hold strategy that we had. Um, so we, I still have about 1,500 units with him, but um, so, you know, when we're a lead GP, we typically do lead GP deals here in Texas. And then when we co-GP, that's typically outside of Texas, you know, or outside what we would call core knowledge areas that we do with other uh, syndicators. And one of the things I, I, well, two things I noticed when, when looking at your website a little bit more was one, you know, you focus on the Southeast, you know, so mm -hmm. Texas and Georgia looks like where your, your properties are. Um, you know, so one, why do you 
focus in those areas. And then two, you know, if I look at the cities that you're buying in, it's not the traditional Dallas, Houston, Austin. So would love to get your take on why you're looking at some of the kind of the tertiary markets. Sure. Yeah. So the, the secondary and treasury markets have really been where we've been able to kind of find a, you know, a, a niche from the perspective of, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're a little bigger than the mom and pop uh, when we're shopping and we're just under the radar for some of the bigger guys who typically want to be able to do that uh, in those primary markets. And we're, we're finding the value in those, uh, in those areas, um, you know, but from a, from a state perspective, we like to be in Texas, um, and really, that's a knowledge thing. Uh, we have great knowledge of really the, the major primary markets and those secondary markets around those areas. Um, and then when we, like I said before, when we get outside of the state of Texas, we really need to rely on um, some more boots on the ground knowledge with our partners and, and helping us to uh, make sure that we're getting into the right deals and that we're, we're reading the metrics correctly and that uh, you know, the trends that we're seeing are, are adequate with the, like we said, the boots on the ground knowledge. Absolutely. So. So it, when you said that you're not like, you, you kind of gave off the impression that you were doing smaller deals. But when I look at it, it's like you're doing 20 to $60 million deals. They're not small deals. They're just in yeah, smaller markets, yeah, it's subjective. right? <laughs> yeah, it's subjective. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we prefer that, that 20 to $60 million range. And really that's a, that's kind of a sweet spot for us because you're, you're bigger than the, uh, the mom and pops who are just trying to get in there and, you know, find that one deal that they need. And then you're small enough to where, you know, the larger institutions, you know, the hundred million dollar type deals that they're looking for. So you, you play in that, that arena where, um, you know, there's less of us, there's less competition associated with that. Um, and quite frankly, you know, it's, ma it's made it easier for the financing of the things of that nature. And so we're able to kind of work in that niche, um, uh, for those areas and, uh, and, you know, make, make good money for our investors. That's fantastic. That, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't change, right? Like when you're first getting going, I remember when I was first getting going, there were a lot of syndicators going after hundred plus units. And so that kind of 60 unit to hundred unit was, was a niche, was an area where not as many people focus. Now you have the experience. So you're able to kind of leapfrog and, and get away from a lot of the smaller guys having to compete with them. Uh, but still stay under the radar screen from the big institutional players. So Correct. Yeah, that's cool. Correct. Hey, another thing I noticed from, from looking at your website was, you know, when you look at the referrals that, and obviously you're going to put on some of your better investor uh, referrals on your, on your website, but you know, one thing ran, you know, true and consistent was, you know, that you were a trusted, you know, advisor and, um, you know, everybody says that in this space, like you got to know, like, and trust who you're doing business with, um, you know, but talk about that because I mean, it, it was like one after the other, after the other, I, I read between the lines and it was like the investors have a lot of trust in you. What are you doing to build that trust? Yeah. You know, I, I wish I could say it was something that you could just do right now and you can earn that trust and you'd have that immediate with that, uh, with that investor, unfortunately, Trust is something that's built over, over time. time. <laughs> uh, it, it really is. I mean, I hate to say that and being consistent um, with that. And, uh, and, you know, most of those, those people that were doing that, you know, those are people that have invested with me for a very long time across multiple assets. 
And so they've had, you know, the consistency of, you know, whatever it is that they need to, to get them comfortable with it, whether it be, hey, you know, uh, you know, bottom line, just consistently, I want to know I'm getting my monthly check to, hey, you know, are you consistently telling me what's going on with the property? Are you communicating and being transparent with me, whether it's good or bad or, or in between? Um, you know, are you just informing me of what's going on with our investment? And then uh, a lot of guys, too, you know, part of the reason I'm able to build that is, I, you know, I'm an LP in every deal we do. Every deal we do, I put my money right up next to uh, the investors. And I'm saying, you know, if we win, we're all going to win. And if, if, if something doesn't go right, I'm losing too just with you. Um, and so just know, though, that, you know, I have my money, my kids' money, my future on the line with you guys um, in this deal. And so I'm going to make sure that, you know, I live, breathe, eat, and sleep just this deal so that you guys know that, you know, somebody's watching after what your hard-earned dollars are because mine are right next to you. And so that actually is, you know, that's putting your money where your mouth is, right? But if you do that over a long enough period of time, um, they begin to see that, okay, you know, Sam's not going anywhere. This is something that he's, you know, he's in all in on. And, uh, you know, you know, I, I try not to have that, uh, that, you know, shiny penny syndrome and chasing just whatever the next best thing is. You know, I'm, I'm pretty consistent to the core of, you know, this is what we do. We do this very well, and we're going to continue to do this on an ongoing basis. That's great. You mentioned um, transparency, and a lot of LPs. I'm in a lot of LP deals, also. Like I, I'm, I'm an LP, and I'm also GP. And I talk to a lot of people, and people want transparency, right? And and a lot of syndicators say that they're transparent. What does that mean to you? It's easy when the yeah, deal's so, going great, right? It's, it, oh, it's, it's a matter of absolutely. when there's hiccups. Oh man, I can, I can give you a great example yeah, too, because be we, have a, we, have a deal, we have a deal right now um, that's a full gut remodel deal, right? And we bought this deal in the beginning of 21. And if you knew anything about what would happen uh, from a supply chain issue, <laughs> from labor <laughs> issues, from, you know, we did all of our modeling on that deal at the very end of 20. Right. And I can tell you at the end of 20, um, you know, you could still go and buy washer and dryers and windows and doorknobs and every, you know, all the appliances and everything and actually get those. Right. And, and you know, lumber was, you know, $500 versus $1,600 versus $900. And so, you know, we went into a situation where we thought, hey, we're going to go in, we're going to flip out of this deal in two years. And that's actually how we originally sold it. Uh, well, actually, we, what we said was, hey, you know, two years, we're going to look for a liquidation event, whether that's we flip out or we refi and hold. We're just going to that's what we're going to look at. Um, you know, coming up towards the end of this year, we're going to be done with that project. But we're two million dollars over on our on our cost. We, we missed our budget on that deal. Um, and, you know, frankly, we just you know, we did not anticipate um, the supply chain issues that we've had. Yeah. We didn't anticipate lumber and all the materials going up and down and all over the place. And we didn't anticipate the, uh, the labor shortage. And so, I mean, I'm telling you the, like kind of the failures we had here. Right. But in the transparency things, it's like, Hey guys, you know, here's why I'm okay with this. And here, here's what, you know, here's some of the things that we just didn't anticipate. We're going to have overages. Here's how we're going to cover it. Um, and oh, by the way, you know, there are some tailwinds to this too, because when we were doing this, this is where we thought rents were going to be. And we're leasing right now. And guess what, guys? It's, you know, our, our rents are $180 higher than what we anticipated, you know, back at the end of 20 when we did the underwriting. So, 
even though we're over, you know, we actually think we've we've made up a lot of that value just because of the way the market's been going. And so, you know, not all is lost, but um, hey, you know, we, we think we're actually going to do pretty well still in the deal because of X, Y, and Z. But along the entire process, if we're just telling them, hey, here's what's going on and here's why, you know, we, we here's why we think it's either good or bad or here's what we're going to do to adjust for it. Um, and they were they were being communicated with. And so there's no there's no surprises. Sure. Right. And so being transparent is I'm not going to surprise you. Right. right. I'm not going to surprise you because we haven't done something for six months in a row and let you know about it. Right. And that's hard, too, because you know, some of that is not always pretty, right. like in the case of that deal. I mean, it's just, it's not always pretty, right? Um, but that's, you know, I got to be able to give you the the good, bad, and ugly, and um, and more importantly, too, tell you what I'm going to do to make it better if it's not good. Well, that's, that's the so. piece that I was going to say that I, I like about what you said was that, you know, it was, here's what we're, you know, here's what's going on that we didn't anticipate. It's different than you know, prior to when we purchased it, but here's what we're doing, you know, and, um, you know, as an LP, I think that, that there could be transparency, but if there's no, you know, pivot, there's no action items, there's no leadership from the, the sponsorship group, then, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, look, I'm, I can't control anything as an LP, right? Um, but you want to know that you have good people, you know, running the ship and that's right. You know, so I love that you said, okay, here's, the, you know, the challenges, but here's what we're doing, you know, and not, and some of those things that you do might not pan out, you know, and then you pivot again and, but, you know, just saying, Hey, we're in trouble. And then that's all you say. Yeah. You're transparent. But, you know, it doesn't make the LP feel too that strong, help, right? right? Yeah. And so as a CEO of our company, too, you know, I tell our team the same thing. Uh, you know, I'll tell our team members, hey, you know what? It's okay if there's a problem. Uh, you know, it's okay for you to come and tell me there's a problem, right? But, you know, you guys are all seasoned enough. You're, you're smart enough. Help me find the solution, right. right? So if you come to me with a problem, that's fine. Right. But come to me with some potential solutions and then let's talk it out and figure out what's the best way to go. And so, you know, as a leader, um, you know, that's empowering to your team. Right. That's empowering to your people and telling them, hey, that's you know, it's fine if we have a if we have an issue. But what are some of those potential solutions? Um, you know, even this morning, I was talking to one of our, our regional property managers at a property that we have. Um, you know, they had, he had promised me by September 30th he was going to be at a certain level. And uh, I said, you know, when you told me that a couple of weeks ago, I kind of gave you the eyebrow raise and just said, all right, but I was going to let him run, right? Hey, you know, because if he could do as great as he said he was going to be able to do, I want him to be able to have that, that freedom to go work within that framework to be able to get there. Um, and today he kind of, he's backtracking and going, yeah, you know, we didn't have the leads that we thought we were going to have. So we didn't close as much as thought we thought we were going to do. And to overcome that though, he said, I have a presentation I wanna give you later on in the day as to what I wanna be able to do to rectify this situation before the end of October. That's a perfect answer. That's like, okay, great, you want I got it. You didn't get to where you thought you were gonna be, but you're gonna to come to me with some solutions to get to that point, that works. Yeah, I'm, And so absolutely. it's the same thing. I mean, if you have that expectation for your teams, you should have that expectation for yourself and that should translate over to the investors.
Yeah, I mean, look, just communicating to your team that it's okay if there's a problem. Um, you know, I'm sure the culture in a lot of, you know, institutions, a lot of companies is you don't want to tell your boss that you've got a problem, you know? And so, but that problem could get so much worse if you just keep trying to cover it up. And so I think that giving your staff permission to, you know, voice that is, is awesome. You know, it's good. Well, it's empowering them, right? I mean, I'm empowering the teams to be able to, uh, I mean, look, we work with very, I would say intelligent people. I mean, you know, if you can use common sense, you're probably going to be 95% of the way there. Um, and if you know that you're not going to, uh, you know, be at risk um, by just addressing something, whether it's your fault or not, um, but utilizing the team and all the resources that we have available to be able to attack whatever that is. Um, yeah, we work from there. Absolutely. So, you come from a banker background. Help us understand uh, what was your role prior to, to coming. And, you know, look, there's a lot of people that come from all different walks of life and career paths sure. into the multifamily world. So um, share with how you got here and, and kind of how you leverage that experience in your current role. Yeah. So uh, I was actually a president of a bank. Oh, were you really? Um, and so... Yeah. And so I was in banking, I was in the corporate banking world for 18 years uh, in the community banking world. And so uh, really, you know, just uh, loved it. Um, and I still love it. So uh, I'm, I'm on the board of a, a community bank here in Houston. And so I'm still uh, actively involved uh, in banking. Um, you know, obviously it's not a day job, but um, it enables me to, you know, it's the benefit of being able to sit there and go, I sit on loan committee of a bank. So I get to still see the deals, see how they're structured, see what things are selling for, who's doing what, um, and keep really local knowledge of what's going on in the town um, and, and see how things are trading. Um, but I've also, you know, I was a lender too, right? I lent, you know, well over a billion dollars on these types of assets. And so I know who the players are, you know, where leverage is, what things look like, how they should be, how they should look. And so, you know, from a competitive advantage standpoint, in particularly the world we're going into right now, um, it's quite beneficial to be able to sit there and go, uh, you know what, I know how to speak the language over there. Um, I know exactly what lenders are looking for, uh, how they're looking to see it, um, and what they need um, to be able to uh, create that opportunity uh, for our company over at Sunset. And so it's, it's really interesting from the from that standpoint too, because uh, I mean we talk to lenders every week, and actually we talk to our lenders quite often. We're very proactive about that, um, you know. And it could be as simple as, hey, you know what? We've uh, we finished two or three things here on the rehab that really make the property pop. Uh, we have a bank loan on this deal. I'm going to call our banker and say, hey, bud, next time you're in town or you're around, we'd love to be able to tour you, show you the things that we're doing to make you feel comfortable with the collateral that we have, that you have on the loan, because you're our biggest partner sure. in the deal, right? Um, and in doing that, too, it endears them to you to be able to go, I can pick up the phone when we have another deal and go, hey, you know, what's going on in loan committee right now? What are you guys feeling uh, for this particular asset and these particular deals? You know, what kind of what kind of leverage are you guys looking at and pricing would you look at? And they'll, they'll tell me right off the bat of what they need and how they need to see it. And so guess what? When we're doing presentations associated with it, when we're seeking financing for things, 
I know to put it in the exact form that they need, how they need to see it, um, to where you know we're, we're we get yeses from a lot of different uh, institutions because of that, um, because it's in a form that they need to see, how they need to see it, um, at what can be approved based upon what they've told us, and so we'll work out a deal with you know with a lot of those different people, and it can be it can be different packages for them, not from a numbers perspective, but just how we structure it. Um, to enable us to kind of have options when we're uh, when we're looking to finalize our financing on those deals, and so yeah, that's very being interesting. A, being an ex banker, yeah, being an ex banker, uh, you know, it's you know, we I analyzed hundreds, if not thousands, of these types of deals long before uh, we ever started buying them, and so uh, you know, I know I've, I've seen a lot of deals, right, and you know, the repetition of all of that, you know, what I tell people too is, uh, you know, in particular for our team, you know. I read uh, numbers the way you read words. And so you talk about transparency. We normally are going to be able to pick things out pretty dang fast of uh, where there could be discrepancies or what's going on. And that's, that's asset management too. I mean, that, that could be, you know, the onsite teams providing us information and telling us one thing. And if the numbers tell us something different, you know, there's, that's, that's where you get called to the carpet or, it, you know, conversely, we find something in the numbers that the onsite teams maybe don't know yet or haven't seen yet, um, and we're bringing it to their attention. Um, and so, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very analytical way of looking at it. Um, and we have, we, you know, we're very fundamentally driven that way. Well, so. I, I have to imagine that it's a huge advantage to be able to have a lot of those conversations internally with your team that, hey, look, this is what the you know, once we send this to the lender, this is what they're going to ask, you know, so let's address that now, you know. Um, and so by the time you actually present it, you know, it's pretty buttoned down. Um, so mm -hmm. that, that's huge. Hey, um, I don't know if you can, but I would love for you to share, you know, what are lenders looking for now? You, look, we're in a, you yeah. know, rising interest rate environment. Um, you know, uh, they, they still want to lend, you know, they still want to make their spread. Um, but what are they looking for and what do they need? Yeah. So, you know, I would tell you there's a, there's a flight to quality, um, and there's going to be, a um, uh, what I would call truly relationship driven, i.e. if, you know, if a lender is already lent to you, you are more apt to get another loan from that particular lender. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and this is more talking the bank side sure. or, or even debt fund side, right? Um, and I would tell you, they're going to go back to the, the core base of people they've already lent to. Um, and I almost hate to say that for the newbies that are trying to get in the industry right now, it's going to be even harder uh, for them to be able to do that. And so, and there, there's ways to combat that too, but you know, you're seeing leverage drop drastically. Uh, you know, I, I would say, you know, cause I mean, we've changed our underwriting standards and if you're not consistently evolving your underwriting standards in particular in this market, you're underwriting the way you were four months ago, you're doing it wrong. Um, it's probably the, and that's as blatantly as I can put it, right? <laughs> right. Because, um, you know, interest rates have gone up, obviously, and even some of the spreads too, because there's some, some wild west of, you know, they just don't know where everything's going to be um, and what's going to happen with the Fed. You look at what's happening with treasuries and things like that, and the indexes that a lot of the, um, the institutions price off of, you know, so they're having to actually spread, you know, increase the spread to adjust for that risk associated with it too. And another way that they do that is they lower their leverage, right? And so, you know, if, uh, if I was going out there, say, five months ago and wanted to find something that was a 75% loan to value at, 
you know, let's just say SOFR plus two, you know, maybe you could find, find that, right? I would tell you, you know, that may be harder to find in, in the markets today. Um, you know, you'll, you'll start to see the LTVs drop maybe in that 60, 65% range. Um, and, you're, and you're starting to see the spreads maybe increasing a little bit um, associated with that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's ever evolving, right? But they're going to, you know, from, from a, a basic standpoint, lenders are going to sit there and there's a flight to quality. So they want higher quality assets. They want higher quality operators. So that either people that they know um, or operators that have are fairly seasoned um, and they're, they're going to start pushing, you know, debt coverage ratios. They're going to be looking for cash flow. They're going to be looking to get those returns in faster. Um, you know, when you talk about like the Fannie Freddie or agency type uh, deals, it's the same kind of thing. I would tell you even the, the leverage is even less. Uh, in that world too. And you're starting to see, you know, the 10 year today, I think it was ticked over 380. So pricing has actually gone up quite a bit um, on agency style uh, deals as well. And so, um, yeah, for financing today is actually that little, that pretty difficult aspect. And so when I get asked to talk really for the last several months, it's been, hey, talk about interest rates or hey, talk about, you know, that lending side. Um, you know, the conference you and I got to speak at, I was fortunate to get to talk about asset management and, you know, how we handle things that way. But I would tell you overwhelmingly right now, uh, most people that, that ask me, you know, they're talking to me about, hey, what do I do for financing right now? I talked to a couple of syndicators this weekend. Uh, we had an expo and, uh, you know, one guy came up to me, runs me down and just says, hey, you know, I need just five minutes of your time. Help me out. What do I do with this particular deal? Um, his rate cap was expiring, uh, which is different than cap rate for the listeners out there. A rate cap is, you know, this is a, my rate won't go above this over this time period, right? And it was expiring and he had a loan that was, you know, right at about 3% and it was going to reprice on him in about four months um, to right around six and a half. That's a, that's a big difference. And it's a big difference. And he didn't, he was trying to figure out what to do with his property. And I said, well, you can either buy another rate cap which, you know, I was trying to show him how much it was going to cost. And it was about a million and a half dollars for him to buy the rate cap because um, those have just gotten expensive too, tremendously expensive in the last several months. Um, or you could look to potentially sell. And then I, I showed him with his NOI what, you know, what I thought the value of it was. And he kind of just did the, you know, white in the face, like, you know, I don't even know if I'll get out for par then. And I just said, man, I'm sorry. This is, you know, with what you have, this is kind of where you're at right now. Um, a newer syndicator who just really didn't, you know, it just got away from him a little bit. And, you know, he had anticipation that he was going to be able to flip out of the deal by now. And it had been listed for the last three or four months and he hasn't gotten the bites that he wants at the value that he wants. Sure. And, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how, in particularly these next about six months go, because um, in that financing world, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. So you haven't mentioned it yet, but, um, you know, the last few years, a lot of syndicators did deals with bridge loans. You know, three years, three one one, right? Either fixed for three years or floating for three years with a cap, and then two one year, you know, extensions. And I remember hearing people be like, "It's really a five year. Like, they're automatically you're gonna extend, right?" And and I'm like. Maybe, you know, but I, I saw during the 2008-2010 world, because I've got another business that trades loan portfolios between banks, and some of those bridge lenders, like, they 
they, they find a, something in the contract that says, no, I'm not going to extend. And then, you know. They, uh, I, I would tell you, yeah, uh, uh, you know, there's the language in, uh, in, in loans uh, for, that, for that matter is always heavily skewed to the lender. Right. Um, and so, and there's going to be, there will be outs throughout that process, in particular when there is an expiration. Um, but uh, the, the, you know, the scenario I just painted for you from this weekend, that's what this gentleman was in. He was in a, he was in a bridge yeah. loan. All right. And so, uh, you know, he's coming up to that, that hard hit um, and he's having to figure out what he was going to, what he's going to have to do. Right. Because obviously the pricing for his loan is very different today than it was three years ago. And uh, you know, the way he did his modeling is if I had to guess was that, you know, for perpetuity three years ago. And that probably wasn't the, the wisest move at that time, but that's just how a lot of younger, um, younger guys think, right. Sure. Um, you know, they just, they haven't been around maybe as long to see interest rates, obviously from what you, you were just been talking about. Right. Cause they've, you know, we're still at somewhat historically low rates, even today. Sure. Um, I mean, we're, we're really still not that far off from where we were and call it 17 or 18. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, we're, <laughs> that was just really a handful of years ago, right? So it's not even that long. We just went into a very historic uh, decrease where, you know, where capital was so cheap that everybody can make money, yeah. uh, which is why we had so many, uh, you know, wildcatters kind of get into the business um, in the last few years. So what's from, from being kind of the banker background, you're, now you've got a lot of experience on, on the syndication side too. Um, you know, inverted yield curve is one of the most telltale sign that there's a recession coming, right? So um, assume that that's correct. Um, or I, actually, I guess, give me your advice as to whether you think that that is, is correct, a recession is coming. And then, you know, how do you navigate it? Do you, you know, there's, I've talked to some syndicators who are like, look, I'm just on hold for the next year. I'm going to wait this thing out. I've got others that are like, you know, maybe naive and just going full speed ahead. And, and others that are like, you know what? Trends can last a lot longer than I think. And I don't know if it's three months or six months or two years, you know, probably going to have a reset, but I'm going to continue to buy good quality deals. Um, I probably fall in that last camp, but where, where do you fall? Yeah. So, well, I mean, I would tell you first, a, a recession, the actual technical you know, term for a recession is two negative GDP quarters. So that is the actual definition of a recession. And if that is the actual definition and that, that people go by, then June 30th, we're, already in. we're in a recession. We're in it, right? Um, the inverted yield curve, which is what you're talking about, like if you look at the, the two-year treasury right now, which is over four and a quarter, meaning two-year money, I can get risk-free returns at four and a quarter today, right? And the 10-year being what we called about 380 just earlier, right? Um, you have a, you know, a premium to go short-term versus long-term. That's why you have the inverted yield curve. And historically, depending on the gap of that and how long we're in the gap of that, has told you, hey, this is how long you plan on being in a recession. Um, there's, I mean, we can go down serious rabbit holes with this, but as far as, you know, investing is concerned and the types of deals are concerned. Um, you know, I saw a great poll this weekend, which was a live poll, right? And it was, hey, 12 months from now, 
values of, of real estate are gonna be higher, the same or lower. And it was about 40, 20, 40. So it would be about what you would think. But the granular data, data of that was, they actually said, okay, if you voted, tell me who you are. Are you a real estate investor? Yes. Are you real estate services? And that was what was really interesting because the guys who were in real estate services all thought everything was gonna be higher 12 months from now, right? Because that's what their business is. They actually need that to happen, right? Investors were overwhelmingly thinking it was gonna be negative, meaning values were gonna decrease. And so, um, and that was really the more valuable data of that particular poll, in my opinion. But where I'm at too, I would tell you, look, I mean, markets cycle all the time. Right. Uh, I live in I live in Houston, Texas. Love the area, but very familiar with what happens with oil. Right. Sure. It's a cycled market. Right. You see it go up and down, up and down. The big difference between real estate and multifamily in particular is you address one of the core needs of people. Right. So a need food, water, shelter, clothing. You know, let's just say those are things that you need. You have to have that. Right. It's not a want where I want you know, an iPhone or computers right. or whatever, you know, it's, um, you know, multifamily real estate, one of the reasons I like it is it addresses an actual core need, right? And housing is one of the things that we're already seeing is, has a supply demand issue, right? That equilibrium hasn't occurred yet. Um, and so despite what's going on with interest rates and, and things of that nature, you haven't seen that equilibrium for housing be addressed yet. And so until that has been addressed, you really aren't gonna have what I would call a normal cycle with real estate. And so I'm uh, cautiously optimistic is probably the best way to say that. Um, you know, we, we underwrite a lot of deals only to get, you know, kind of even further down the line with probably less than 1% of them. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll dig through a ton of deals. You know, we'll look at 200 to do one, right? right? Um, but that's just, you know, that's our conservative nature um, in mind from being an ex-banker, right? I also, you know, keep the ear to the ground of going, here's what's logical, feasible, and it can actually be completed. And so if it doesn't hit all those boxes, we kick it out. And so, you know, I may stand up to the plate and let a lot of, a lot of balls come through, but when I swing, we hit. And so, um, you know, we may let good deals go by, but um, we're going to kind of stick to our core. As far as values are concerned, I think cap rates have to, have to you know, increase. They have to. Um, you know, when your cost of capital is going up the way it is, you're going to see cap rates rise. Um, and the, the flip side to that is, are rental rates going to increase at a level to where it doesn't impact value as much? And so what we're seeing is rental rates have been increasing, right? Um, and obviously that's gonna be sub-market specific too with where you're at and that supply demand equilibrium that I talked about. And so, you know, as an overall, I think, there were reports that just came out this week that we finally have seen a slowdown of either that increase or even in some cases, maybe even slightly lower. And so you maybe start seeing that on a national level where we're, where we're slowing down on that. But we had such, you know, when the CPI came out a couple of weeks ago, housing was one of the, one of the big uh, issues with how large the inflation number was. Um, it, housing was one of the bigger ones that got hit, that hurt inflation as much as it did because of the growth. You know, if you're an owner of real estate, that's actually really good because you mean the values are going to be going up because my rental rates are going up. And so, you know, it, how long this cycle lasts, I don't have that crystal ball, but. Um, don't you wish? <laughs> you know, if, yeah, 
Uh, well, because then I would tell you, hey, you know, Darren, let's go all in, right? Or, or hey, let's pump the brakes, right? But I would tell you, there are going to be deals. Uh, there, deals will still get done. There's still an immense amount of capital. One of the things that I think you might see, and I mean, if I'm crystal balling some things, but in particular from the larger institutions, is you'll start seeing deals close for cash in the next six months. Um, and there will be high quality assets. Um, and, you know, those in, institutions are going to sit there and go, look, let me let me see what an unlevered IRR is. And if it's in that eight, nine percent range, we feel we're getting a good solid asset. Boom, we're done. And they'll close it for cash and wait for the financial markets to get back in line um, before they start using leverage again. So, then, I think, so then do they is is the business plan on that deal like hold hold a great asset, clip the eight percent coupon and then wait for financing to come back and then lever it up and then you've got a massive return? Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many institutions that, you know, that have so much cash, right, that has to be deployed into these types of assets because that's their fund structure. But yeah, I think that's something that you'll end up seeing here in the next six months. But I would think that um, the, you know, so like, let's talk about the larger institutions that are, that built up funds, right? They, in order to build those funds, they had to set some kind of, investor expectations, right? Mm -hmm. So are they setting expectations significantly lower or are they just looking at it like, hey, we're going to clip the 8% coupon for maybe a year or two and then we're going to get the the levered return and then the, the average is going to meet our investor expectations. That's more than likely correct because what they're looking up now is they go, look, we have may have you know a ton of cash right now and guess what? We're losing 8 9% a year. By keeping it in cash based and on so inflation. we're going to have to do so based on inflation we're going to have to do something here soon and if the financial markets uh, or the capital markets excuse me aren't operating with us let's go ahead and close it and when when things come back around we'll go ahead and pull leverage so that we can go take down more assets later with that cash to get to uh, the returns that our investors are expecting and so yeah, I mean, you, and that's part of that slowdown that we're talking right. about, because I think it's going to hit, it's going to hit widespread that way. And so, but, you know, we're, you know, for us, I was talking to our CFO uh, last week about this, um, you know, we're going to be opportunistic in nature, you know, 2023, we don't know how many deals we're going to do, it'll probably be less uh, than normal. And, you know, if we end up doing, I told him, look, if we end up doing one deal, I'm fine with that. I go, but it's going to be something where it is the right deal for us to get into. I'd rather do one deal that's the right deal than to try to do three or four that are not the right, right. deal. Uh, and so, you know, we, we do, we typically do less deals, but they're the right deals uh, for our investors. And it's going to be something like, like what we just have been talking about. You know, somebody's got a note that's expiring and, you know, they're bleeding cash. And instead of, you know, losing the deal, um, you know, they'll sell at a, a significant discount, um, to somebody who will be really able to come in. It's also one of the reasons we talk to as many lenders as we do. So, um, you know, when we, when we tell them, Hey, you know, if something happens and you guys end up taking an asset back and you have something that's non-performing, let me know. And if it's something that fits our mold, we'll turn a non-performing asset into a performing asset for you to where you guys that's, can start making That's a money. great resource because a lot of syndicators don't have that connection to the banks. The banks different from bridge some bridge lenders, I don't want to say all bridge lenders, some, some bridge lenders, they actually want to take over the asset, you know, so that they can 
ride the appreciation going forward. But banks don't really want to own that. They don't want the maintenance of it. That's not their business model. So if they can find a trusted source that can come in and take over that, that's a huge win for the bank. They don't want to show it on their, you know, non-performing reports. That's right. Um, so that's a huge win. And and a lot of people aren't, a lot of syndicators don't have that connection. So that's that's definitely an advantage for you. Yeah, and you know, I've, I've, I mean, I've had them, I mean, even now, I, we had one a couple of weeks ago, uh, a lender come to us and say, hey, I have two assets, we've taken them back. So we've already, actually already foreclosed on them. Will you just take them at me for note value? And uh, meaning don't bring any equity to the right. table. Just here you go. I'll, I'll give you the loans at where we are for par. Um, and, you know, you would think, it, you know, in your mind, you're like, oh, my gosh, I can go in there and get this deal right now with no money kind of deal. Uh, but our analysis came through and I was like, guys, you know, if I can flip out of these things in three years, everything that I'll have made will just effectively be to pay you back. Because I think where the exit is really just covers the loans. Right. And so it wasn't going to be worth it for us, even with, you know, the little bit of money that we would probably have to put into the deal. Um, and so, I mean, they were really obviously underwater. So what we had asked for was a pretty significant discount sure. to the note sure. uh, to be able to make it work and worth our time. And, um, you know, they just, that particular lender wasn't interested in that. They're trying to figure out a way to not lose money right, right now. I remember so when, there's, when uh, COVID first happened, I had a few brokers come to me with the same deal. And they're like, they're like, uh, you know, you're the only one I'm showing this to. I'm like, yeah, right. You know, like, and, and, but it was the same thing. I, I looked at it like, okay, if I can take over this deal and just wipe out their equity and just take over the loan, does it make sense? And it still didn't make sense from a cash flow perspective. So, um, yeah, I can see, I can see that happening, but if it, if yeah, but can. I would tell you, there's there's younger there's younger guys out there sitting there like I can I can own this with you know not giving you anything and I haven't come yeah I'll do right. it right and man that's that's where having an, the analytical background uh, that we have that I would just sit there and oh man you're, you're you know you're you're causing issues for yourself right. right so so hey the listeners are a combination of you know passive investors. Um, kind of people that are interested in getting involved and becoming a passive investor and then syndicators that are mm-hmm. looking to scale. So let's focus on the, the first time passive investor, right? Uh, they've decided, you know what? I, I really don't want to put all my money in the stock market. The stock market started to, it started to tank. Um, but I keep reading all this stuff about, you know, higher interest rates and, um, you know, and the real estate market being at possibly a top, like, what should I do? Should I just wait? So what, what do you, what yeah. do you say to, okay. to that passive investor? Uh, I mean, you're, you're losing money. Explain. If you don't how, get in the game. You're, explain yeah, how you're you don't money. get in the game. Yeah. If you don't get in the game, you're sitting on cash, you're losing money. Because your hundred thousand dollars that you were looking to put in there is worth ninety two in a year. So right? you know that, and so people, you know, I want to repeat that what he just said because a lot of people don't look at it that way. A lot of people look at like, okay, if I have a hundred thousand in the bank, and then next year comes around and I have a hundred thousand in the bank, I still have my hundred thousand. I didn't lose. Like where if I'm in the stock That's market, true. you know, I've lost forty percent or whatever. And if I invest in this deal, I could lose. Correct. 
But but you will for sure you'll for sure lose <laughs> that hundred thousand. It may say a hundred thousand next year, but it only buys ninety two thousand dollars worth of product or worth of whatever. That's it the is. thing is it's. At that and point, with inflation, people don't fully grasp it. It's reduction of purchasing power, you know. So mm -hmm. that hundred thousand is only going to buy you ninety-two thousand dollars worth of goods, and so it's it's correct. You need to do it's something so, to try to beat inflation. That's right, and that, I mean, and 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 that's you. You just said it to beat inflation because if you just hit, you know, let's say I, I go, you know, I want to just. I want to put it safe and I'll put it in 4% money or something. If you can find that right now, which you can with two year treasuries, but you're still losing, you know, 5%, even though you're making 4%, you're losing 5% because of the way inflation is going. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the objective is to actually grow your wealth. Right. And so, um, for those investors looking to get in, I mean, I would tell you, you have to, you have to do it, right? So whatever that is, you have to do it. But I would tell you, there's a, there's a couple key things. One, you know, we always say you back the jockey, not the horse, right? So you can have, you can have a great deal with great management, but a poor, you know, poor lead and it becomes a poor deal, right? You, you really need to have a great person who's running this thing. And they can actually turn a mediocre deal into a great deal. Um, and so having somebody who you trust, who has the expertise, who has some seasonality to them, um, and, and something that you're comfortable you know, owning for a long time, because you know, a lot of guys have seen them, hey, we're going to own this for 18 months, we're flipping out, right? And that may be, that may be what happens, right? And that may be a great business plan, and, the model, and that's how the modeling works. But we're going into an environment where, People may have to hold for longer periods of time, and you know it's going to adjust the IRRs on the projects when you do that. And you know if you know how to analyze the numbers, which I mean the education of all this stuff, man, it, it's worth it to spend a few dollars to educate yourself, listening to podcasts, doing webinars, finding a, a club that can help teach you some of these things, um, so that you know what you're putting your money into. I mean, it, it takes. I mean, for for most people. It takes them a while to make a hundred thousand sure. dollars, right? I mean, if it if you're able to save ten thousand dollars a year, that's ten, ten years. years of your life right. that that you're about to put into a deal. You spent ten years getting that. You might want to spend some time put knowing what you're putting that money into, right. or however much time it takes you. I mean, look, if you're going to spend the, your your time to go earn that it might be valuable to spend a little bit of time to know what you're putting it into and know who you're investing with. And so, um, you know, for those people that are new coming in the industry, that's what I, I would say, know who you're investing with, you know, it, make sure the deal is thoroughly explained to you and you know what you're getting into and the risk associated with it. And then you're going to have to take the risk. Right. Um, and not everything, nobody bats a thousand in this industry. Right. I mean, I, I love, the, you know, the, the Instagram guys and all the things on social media and they're, they're guaranteed to do whatever it, I mean, if somebody says guarantee run, run I mean, run like crazy. Run. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and if they're all in, you know, Insta famous and everything of that nature, and that's great. I have nothing, no problems with those guys that do that, but get to know who the person is and who their teams are, the deals that they've done, ask for the results of what they've done. And, um, and, you know, if they're unwilling to share, you, you probably move on to the next guy or, you know, it, it's okay to, to protect that hundred grand, right. Sure. That you're talking about. Absolutely. Um, and to make sure that it's going to grow with somebody that you trust, 
And that's part um, of the, what's great about this business too is that, look, so, some people are going to, you know, have a connection with Sam Morris. You know, some people are going to have a connection with Darren. Somebody's going to have a connection with somebody completely different. And that is fantastic. Like you actually sure. get to do business with people that you can actually pick up the phone and get on, you know, call their cell phone and, and email and they actually respond, um, which is completely different than investing in, you know, huge conglomerate stock um, where you don't have access to anything other than, you know, your ticker symbol going up and down. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't call, you know, Jamie Dimon and say, I want to talk about, you know, JP Morgan Chase stock. Right. Um, you know, he'll, he'll sit there and go, who the heck are you? Right. Yeah. And, and what, you know, what, and even if you think you have knowledge, why am I going to listen to and, you? And as an investor, so. you can ask, call Sam or whoever you want to do business with and ask questions, you know, like, sure. look, I mean, one of the things you just said was you may in today's environment, you may have to hold the deal longer, you know, and that's been, I think because I come from, you know, you're, you're, Bank president, I come from the kind of loan trading platform um, standpoint, and and I saw where some deals got hurt in the last downturn. But in the last few years, you know, I've been asked to partner on a lot of deals where I'm like, well, what's the loan? You know, what's the loan structure like? And I really like a five years or greater, you know, term, you know, because I don't want to have a term at three years and then all of a sudden the economy tanks and you're forced to sell or, or refinance um, at a terrible time when valuations are low. So kind of what's your take on, you know, if you're going to look to hold longer, you, you're a finance guy, what's your take on, you know, the term for, for loans? Yeah. I mean, I, I actually still think 10 year treasury type stuff is, is good right now. Um, you know, and, and, and you're, you're trading off, um, you know, a, a future risk, right? Um, so we, we did a deal uh, in May, this May. Um, so, you know, four months ago. And uh, I ended up opting to fix the rate. One, because I knew rate caps were getting expensive. And two, because I didn't want to have the interest rate risk associated with it. And I fixed the rate at the time at 4.85%, right? And d you would not believe how many people came to me and told me- Is it a 10-year term? What a yeah, you wouldn't believe how many people told me what a mistake I was making because if I floated the rate, I could be 125 basis points cheaper. Right. You know, I'm, I'm hurting the cash flow, uh, things of that nature. And I said, you know what? I'm actually making sure the cash flow can hit for a long period of time. So I know what it's going to end up being over this period of time. And I know where my costs are. I'm actually fixing a cost right. associated with it versus having a variable and I'm taking out that variable for the future. Um, and now I look back, I mean, we're four months later and I sit there and I go, oh my gosh, Thank I'll goodness. do every deal I can. At, right. I'll do every deal I can at that fixed right. rate right now right. in this environment. Um, now where syndicators kind of, fly, you know, maybe four years ago, people, that's everybody was doing agency, you know, 10 year, seven year. And, and then people got burned, syndicators got burned because, and even, a lot of LPs don't even realize it, but you know, the, the property values went crazy, you know, were fantastic, but because the loan went below, there was yield maintenance that was gonna, so they might be able to sell it for a $3 million profit, but they were gonna have a million and a half was gonna go to prepayment penalty. 
So that's right. They, the syndicator felt, you know, that they were in jail, that they were stuck with, and they couldn't do anything. And so then they started to go with floating rate. And then now all of a sudden floating rate is going way higher and, and the caps are getting significantly more expensive. Um, and yep. so, no, I think that- Yeah, that 17 and 18, yeah, 17 and 18, it was all the, all the longer term stuff. By about 19, uh, the floating rate stuff just came right into play because it was so cheap to own the asset and the cost of capital was so much cheaper. Um, and then, you know, really, I would say towards the beginning of this year, you could already, you know, if you were listening and seeing what was happening, it was, they were telling you, like, start to fix these things longer term. And for, you know, for, for us that could kind of see it, we, that's where we were at. And then for those that didn't, I mean, um, they're going to pay for it with, you know, additional cash flow, uh, having to be uh, directed to debt service because of it. Right. So. And you said fixing your cost, you know, and I think that, you know, for some listeners, they may not fully understand that, but especially like in an inflationary environment, I mean, if you, if you can fix your cost and then rents, you know, with inflation, wage inflation continue to go up, well, that's just going to increase your profitability as that continues to happen because your costs are fixed, but your top line revenue is going up and up and up. So, um, Correct. I mean, that, that's smart. Um, yeah. You know, Look, nobody has a crystal ball. Like you said, people were like, you know, those same people probably aren't calling you up now saying thank, thank you for doing that. But, but there's, you know, silently saying at home, I'm glad he did it, you know? Yeah, sure, sure. You know, you were talking about you have, you have three different types of listeners. So you have the investors, you have people that are syndicators and those uh, that you said were so, looking to invest. Yeah, people that are just looking to get in, people that are passive, that are looking to meet other, you know, other syndicators and then syndicators that are looking to learn things to scale, you know, and sure. grow. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, and those are, I mean, great categories from this perspective of, I mean, we're, we're in a very interesting time where a lot of people have the ability to learn syndicators as well um, of going through another, another market cycle. Right. And so whenever we go through these cycles, whether they're, um, you know, negative or positive, I mean, there's always something to learn. And so, you know, you do look at, you go back to like 08, 09, this has some similarities uh, to it. It's not the same kind of uh, reasoning, obviously, um, but there are some numbers and metrics that match up uh, for the guys who who went through some of that. And so, um, you know, from a from an investor standpoint, because I'm an LP in a lot of deals too. Um, I'm an LP in probably a, at least eight thousand units, uh, different syndicators all over the country, really. Um, and it's for me, you know, I'm I'm I love the passive aspect of it. I mean, really, from an ultimate goal perspective. You know, all of us would love to just be passive all the time, right? Yeah, that, uh, he, that's an interesting point in itself because I think that, you know, sometimes a first-time person that's going to give their 50000 or the 100000 or invest in that, you know, they may feel like the sponsor is trying to get something from them. But uh, the sponsors, most sponsors that I know are LPs in a bunch of other deals also. And... I've seen it where like <laughs> you put a hundred grand in all of a sudden, three years later, you got your hundred grand plus another hundred, you know, like, well, and you didn't do anything other than wire the money. Like, that's great. Why would, yeah. Why wouldn't I want to yeah, do that? Right? right. I'm, I'm all about those types Ex of deals. Sure. Yeah, sign me exactly. up. Um, and that's what, that's one thing that I think a lot of investors don't know about a lot of the, I mean, I think a lot of the syndicators, at least some of the, what I would call the smarter ones, we're doing deals with, 
other syndicators that we know, like, and trust as well. Um, And so, uh, and, you know, and and obviously we, you know, I get used a lot, I feel, um, (laughs) and particularly even from an LP perspective where they'll call me and, hey, you know, can I get free advice from you or something of that nature? Or, hey, you know, uh, what I have something to tell you about our deal over here that I need some advice on. Um, And, uh, you know, that's, it's something that I will continually do um, because I, I, you know, I love the I love being in the market um, and in that that alternative investing market. Um, to me, it's much safer, uh, much safer spot um, than what I've seen with, in particular, with the stock market itself. I mean, for those that are in the stock market, I think you know. Last I heard, the S and P was down like something twenty five percent already this year, or something of that nature. I mean, it, it's a uh, you know, it's a much more consistent, lower volatility business to be in. And, you know, you give me boring double digit returns, I'll take them all day yeah. long. I mean, I'll, I'll do that all day long and laugh all the way to the bank. With, with tax advantages. So, with tax advantages, right? And so that's the other thing. I mean, as a full-time real estate professional, you know, not to go too far of it. I mean, we, we don't pay taxes. I mean, legally, we don't pay taxes um, because we're utilizing the the depreciation aspects of of the business model. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. So, so Look, you've done a ton. What, where do you go from here? Kind of, what's the next big stretch goal for you? Yeah, so you know, uh, we are decidedly a small company, and we're, we're decidedly going to stay that way. Um, and so, why? which is is probably well, you know, it's so funny. You know, a lot of people say, you know, why don't you scale up, be thousands, you know, and go all this stuff. And I said, you know, that is great. And for the people that want to do that, that's fantastic. I go, I would rather just stay in my, my, my kind of box here, make a lot of money on things that I can control and that I know I have great control over um, and, and just turn those few deals a year that way. And uh, so it's, it's a little bit different of a model, I know. And, you know, it's, and, you know, some people would say, man, you could shoot up and go do tens of thousands of units, hundreds of millions of dollars. And I said, you know what? I have a lifestyle that I really like. Um, I've been married for 19 years. I have four children. I go to all the football games and volleyball games and basketball games. And, um, and that's what I've chosen to do from, from my life, from my own lifestyle. And, uh, you know, there's also a metric, right? If you, you can grow and I, just from being a banker and from having to do this business for a while, you can go to here and run it really great, making good money. And if you want to go past here, you actually can't go to here. You got to go to here to get to that next level um, and the scale associated with that, the amount of employees associated with that, you are then managing, truly managing just a, a massive business that you're having to do. And it's a different type of model um, than just saying, man, I'm going to have my, you know, just call it a few thousand mm-hmm. units. I'm going to take care of my investors just like crazy and just focus on them being investor centric, making them all kinds of money. You know, if we will we'll sell a deal, everybody makes good money. I'll go find another great one that we can put to work. And so we we have that kind of a, that box. We're not there yet, but we have that kind of a box of where we think uh, we're going to be. And and that will be that will really be the where we want to be from a from a lifestyle perspective and from a, a true growth perspective. And that doesn't mean we stop learning. We don't ever stop looking for deals. Um, I mean, you learn. Look, I mean, I think you're probably the first person that said that to me, you know, um, when I've asked that question. Because it's not a common thing. It's not a common thing thing at Um, all. But I think that 
I, one of the things I like that you said is like, look, this is the lifestyle. This is the, the life that myself and my family want to live. Um, I know some people that have killed it in business, whether it's, you know, in the, you know, the syndication world or in another business. And they're like, holy cow, like I'm killing it financially, but I just don't have any time for myself. Like it's just eating me up. And like, so being conscious about what you want and what lifestyle you want to lead, I think is, is smart. Um, so I, 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 I understand it's a contrarian point at, at of view, first, right? Well, I understand that. At first I was going to hit you up and say, well, look, if you get bigger, you could help more people, you know? And, sure. And, well, that's different. And, that's different, and, though. I mean, you, I think you can help everybody. I mean, I think you can help people. And I, I freely do that, too, right? Um, and you know, I, I do enough speaking and things like you do. And what, what, and I'm, I'm more than happy. But I also have an abundance mentality. Right. There's a ton of deals out there. There's a ton of people who can be doing this. I just know that I want to do the right deals that make a lot of money for my my investor group, right? And I'll continue to grow our investor group because we're going to continue to need capital, right? The way this works is you know, a deal that we bought 10, 15 years ago at $15,000 a door, you know, that's $100,000 a door today. Well, to do that same deal, it's obviously a lot more money. And so you're going to have to have more capital to do it. So you have to keep growing. But there's going to be people that are in different stages of life. I actually, I just had a text from an investor not too long ago, and this gentleman's in his 70s, and I'm his retirement, meaning the monthly checks that I send him, that's what he lives off of. That's a heavy weight to somebody like me to sit there and go, look, I mean, the performance of how we're doing things right now is how this person lives. That's a heavy, heavy weight. And so I want to know that I'm doing everything I can on every one of the deals to make sure that we're hitting those because this is real people with real money that are, I mean, they rely on this and they're relying on me. So it's not just the employees that I have, but it's our investors Absolutely. and it's our investors futures. And I mean, I have guys that tell me, this is how I'm sending my kids to college. This deal is how I'm going to send my kid to college. <laughs> right. That's, that's a heavy weight. It really is. Right. And so I take it very seriously and I sit there and I go, you know what? I want to make sure I give this the respect and the honor that it needs for this deal and make sure I'm taking care of our investors that way. Absolutely. But at the same time, like if you weren't there, right, that person may not have had that opportunity. So I I look at syndication as as a a possible way to give back, you know, as a a way to serve other people is to use your – your experience, your connections, your knowledge, and help grow the wealth of, you know, not not just for your family, but for other people as well. But I, I, lo- I do Absolutely. love that you, you said that um, because I think too many people focus on just how many properties, how many units, and, you know, yes, they are, fo- I think they truly are focused on trying to get the investors the returns, but they may miss, you know, how, how does it impact my life? You know, sure. Um, uh, you know, one of the things I was actually telling my wife earlier, because uh, I'm working out of the house today, I said, you know what? I love working out of the house. I said, because I can come over and just kiss you anytime I want. Um, you know, and I wouldn't. <laughs> and there's no HR situation and you, and you're with not that, right? The Heisman from uh, her. Like, you stay I back. Mean, <laughs> yeah, well, but you but you see what I'm saying? I have I have a different type of lifestyle than most because of that. But 
I'm still able to to do the things and do like a podcast with you. I mean, I feel this is sharing and giving back and giving, I'm hoping some nuggets of wisdom to your listeners, Absolutely. right? To where they can take whatever this is and maybe they can learn whatever aspect they need from it so that they can go do their thing. Um, you know, I'm part of a lot of organizations and things of that nature. And so I know that I just, I know myself really well. Um, you know, I'm not a spring chicken. Um, I'm not old. You and I aren't old, right? But depends we're, we're, on we're who I have on. <laughs> Well, exactly. No, we're young, right? right? We're in, young in our guys. mind. <laughs> um, that's right. That's right. But at the same time, too, you know, I know um, just the things that I value um, aren't how many doors we have or things. The things I value are how much money I've returned to my investors. Um, you know, how much time I'm able to spend with my children um, and my wife, and 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 those are the things that are. You know, when I look back on life, that's going to be what I have value of. And and you said it yourself too. Did I help people? Right. right? And there's there's several ways to do that, right? And I'm glad that syndication is kind of, you know, part of your ministry that way. Um, it's just, I, I've had the benefit of being, getting to be a bunch, you know, part of a bunch of them. And so, um, you know, my eyes have opened to go, you know what, you know, in life, how far do I need to take these certain things? Yeah. And, you know, is it going to be, you know, look, the type of food I eat isn't going to change right. if I make, you know, another 10, 15, $20 million, whatever it is, right? Um, I'm still going to eat the same and we're still going to go do the same things. But, you know, the the time I have to be able to to offer to others and to family, you know, that can change if I'm having to go out there and start chasing, you know, an extra thousand units or 10,000 units or whatever it might be. Um, that will change. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I know there's a point where you can sit there and go, you know what, I'm good and I'm good right here. Um and this is this is actually you know something that's much greater than than you know that grass may not be greener over here, um, but at the same time you know I'm always reminded of a co- quote of the uh, you know what gets in the way of a great life is a good life, and so I'm always striving to be better, but I can be better right where I'm at, and I can be better and and how how you define that right it doesn't necessarily mean. I got to go out and, you know, I really got to stretch to go do five more deals next year or 10 more deals, whatever that goal may be. And it's not bad to have those goals. I mean, that's actually a great thing. I always say, I want to do the right deal. I want to do the right deal. And how does this impact with what we have, with what we're going on? And does this make sense for, you know, for the time that we're in and for the investors, for what they want to get? And so, yeah, I mean, it is, it is contrarian. I know that because everybody wants to grow. Everybody wants to do bigger, better and all the way. And I sit there and go, you know what? I'm good right here. And the reason I'm good right here is because the lifestyle that I want to have, it's so many other things other than just the sunset capital, yeah, right? No, it's, I, I, wanna, I think that's I cool. Be, I, haven't, I haven't heard it before. So I want to be big in my church. I want to be big with my kids. I want to be, I want to be big with a lot of um, other ministries that I'm a part of too. That's awesome. What, what do you like to do outside of work for fun? Well, I did tell you, I got four kids, right? right? So it's fa- family stuff. <laughs> so family sports uh, or? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and me and my sons went dove hunting last weekend. Um, you know, we, we, I love hunting, fishing. I mean, we're down in Houston and Texas. I mean, it's just a, it's a, a playground for, uh, for hunters and fishers that way. Um, you know, my daughter's volleyball. My sons are in football right now. We have basketball season coming up. Um, you know, Houston's a foodie town, so I love taking my wife out to restaurants. Um, but you know, we have a lot of family down here, and so it's a there's never a dull moment. I'll put it that way, and we we use up our minutes. I'll put Fantastic. it that way. We live we live them out. 
Hey, if so. people want to get to know you, what's the best way for them to reach out and learn more? Yeah, absolutely. If you go to our website, it's www.sunset-capital.com. Um, there's you know a couple ways to reach out. You can all, you can sign up to be on our investor portal. If you do that, you get our monthly newsletter. Uh, September's newsletter is coming out. It always comes out at the end of the month. Uh, we'll doubly a blurb on there on interest rates and actually kind of where we are in the market, what's going on with the Fed. Uh, we talk about kind of things that we've been doing for the month. And so you'll see that we've been at expos and we're uh, touring properties and things like that. Sometimes we put pictures in, but it's, a, it's an overall, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what we've been doing. Um, and here's something that's happening in the market that you guys may need to know about. So we hope to offer value. That's all free too. Um, and then they get to be able to see our deals for when we're doing it. So we're hoping to push out a, a little deal next uh, month. Uh, we have a little storage portfolio that we're, we've got under contract net right now. It's uh, eight property portfolio. Say, he, said, he says little storage and like, you know, I, before we hit record, he said eight <clears throat> property storage, you know, just, oh, we just got this little storage portfolio. I, well, from a dollar perspective, <laughs> that one actually is. I mean, it, it, because we're, I mean, we're stealing it. In my opinion, we're getting a great deal on it. And so uh, it's a little over 1,400 units. And so, um, you know, hoping to add another uh, asset class so that people have the ability to look. But it's similar type returns with our multifamily stuff. And um, But, yeah, I mean, you'll be able to see all those things. And we're, we're excited. Uh, there's, there's always things going on. We have a lot of marketing things going on next month. And so, uh, you know, the, the tail end of the year is always just, it's really big and crazy and busy. And, uh, you know, we're, there's all, there's never a dull moment. I'll put it that Fantastic. way. Well, Sam, yeah. I really appreciate you coming on. I, I loved getting to know you, man. I look being yeah. a bank president and then coming into this world. Um, this guy, he, he knows stuff. I mean, he's seen the other side. The lender is typically, Anywhere from 60, it used to be up to 80, but no, nowhere near that today, um, percent of the deal. But um, to know that side of the business as well is a huge advantage. Check him out. Check out his uh, website, sunset-capital.com. And um, again, thank you for coming on. And listeners, until next week, signing off. Very blessed, Darren. Thank you very I'm much. Back bud. at you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.